Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast Series, and my name is Carl Vradenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 51, and the topic for today is sleep. Now, you may recall that we had a session that involved sleep some episodes ago. In fact, it was Life Habits number 42. It was on sleep, food, mood, and exercise, and it was with my guest, Marie-José Char. And we have Marie-José back again to do the promised drill down on the topic we talked about during that session that we would come back to, which is sleep. So I'd like to welcome uh, Marie-José back again. Welcome, Marie-José. Thank you for having me back, Carl. Well, I look forward to doing this follow-up session. And just before we get into the topic itself, let me just read a few of the bits of feedback that we got on the episode we did together last time. Miguel wrote, I really like this podcast. I had no idea how different foods can actually impact your performance. I will modify some of my eating habits from now on. I hope you bring back Marie-José to your program in the future. Thanks for the advice. Felice said, really great podcast, Carl and Marie-José. I found it extremely valuable. I love how everything is backed up with scientific research. Really interesting. Anyways, I should be getting to sleep soon. And then smiley face. Thanks for all the great info and advice. And lastly, from iTunes, we had a comment on that previous episode that said, I found this podcast to be very interesting. Have this guest back again. So I always try to do what the listeners ask. And of course, have Marie-José back again. And this time, as we talked about doing a drill down session on the topic of sleep. So on that, it'd be great to perhaps start as you uh, know the routine now, Marie-José, in terms of having some quotes and having some uh, items like a top 10 list. And I'm delighted that you created one of these again. And maybe we can get started on the topic of sleep. Definitely. Well, I'd like to start with the quote from Blaine Lee. And it's a quote that I really like. It says, the leader who exercises power with honor will work from the inside out, starting with himself. I think this is so important for obvious reasons, Um, but let me state one (laughs) just Mm -hmm. to get us started. Today, healthcare is a big concern in the media. We talk about it on the political scene, on the business scene. Uh, Wellness programs are rising uh, with a lot of layoffs that have happened earlier this year and last year. The people who stay on board, the people who have stayed, have been overworked trying to fulfill duties for the peers that have left. And so therefore, trying to help them be healthy is even more important. But what we see happens is that a lot of leaders try to put together these uh, or implement these corporate wellness programs, but they don't do it themselves. And because they don't participate, other people in lower echelons in the organization say, well, you know, if they're too busy and I want to be in that chair, I should be too busy too. And therefore, participation rates drop. So this is something today that, you know, the topic of sleep is something that is dear to my heart. It's something that's very important about two-thirds of adults in modern society are sleep-deprived. So I think that, you know, at least two-thirds of our listeners can take a couple tips 
and apply them today. No, it sounds great. And the last session that we had as an episode in this series talked about effective management. We also talked about leadership before that as well. And I think you're starting this one by making a linkage again to overall management and the importance to lead yourself as the manager in the organization, whether you're the identified leader or just somebody in the organization that wants to direct the rest of the organization in a particular way, this is a great way to really lead the way by, as we touched on last time, really getting probably one of the most important things in life down right. Sleep, as we talked about before, is so important, yet is so undervalued. And so I'm delighted that yes. you've got a top 10 list, Marie-José, that we can go through. And so maybe we can get started with number one. Number one is simple. Rethink your relationship to sleep. A lot of people just think, oh, I can pull it off. I don't need, you know, to sleep a full eight hours. But your body needs it. Even if you want to believe you don't, your body thinks otherwise. Your brain thinks otherwise. And there's a lot of research that proves that people who sleep more have better memories, perform better on simple tasks. So don't fool yourself thinking you can get away with six hours of, of le or less. You know, unless you are an anomaly, you can't. So rethink your relationship to sleep. Give it the priority it deserves. So this is a follow-on to the conversation we had last time, too, about a lot of people have a an attitude problem when it comes to sleep, right? In the sense that everybody celebrates the lack of sleep. This attitude about, you know, the importance of sleep as being your number one is just, I think, phenomenally important. So very good. Great first item. What's number two? <laughs> number two is keep the cortisol under control. We lead lifestyles where everything is scheduled and there's not enough time to all fit it into our days, right? We have to get up, kids go to school, breakfast, lunch, dinner, we eat on the go, we race to things, we run to soccer practice, you know, have our Blackberries and even use them in the car ride to the office. At the office, it's an endless day, we a marathon, mm -hmm. uh, we don't take a break, we don't, you know, sometimes I, I even know some people who won't drink water because they don't want to have to go use the restroom. So, you know, it's crazy how, how much we are scheduled. And that leads our bodies to produce too much cortisol. And cortisol is linked with insomnia. So what I suggest is keep the cortisol under control. And to do that, try to manage some pauses in your day. And if you can't have a 15-minute break, you know, if your day is really so out of control that you can't even take a 15-minute break, then take a three-minute break and do a breathing break. And what you do during that time is that you're trying to breathe out for twice as long as you breathe in. So first you're going to have to, you know, slow down your breath in for two, out for four, and then a couple times later in for three, out for six, and in for four, out for eight. What that does is it activates the relaxation response in the body. Each time we breathe in, we're activating the sympathetic nervous system. Each time we breathe out, we're activating the parasympathetic nervous system. And those two work like the gas pedal and the brake pedal in the car. You can't make it to destination unless you use both pedals, right? Mm -hmm. So in life, it's the same thing. You need your parasympathetic and your sympathetic to both work. When you are leading a lifestyle where it's always go, 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 you're using your gas pedal way too much. And you need to intentionally press on the brake every now and then to try to bring back some balance. So to press on the brake, breathe out, 
twice as long as you breathe in. And this suggestion to Marie-José seems to me to be something that you can do without anybody else noticing it. So yes, you can take a break, but even cases where, you know, you're sitting there in a conference call, you're in a meeting, if you're doing anything, you can take in a yes. deep breath and exhale, as you say, twice as long as you're in breath and nobody else yes. is the wiser. And you naturally start to relax more, de-stress. And I gather what you're saying, if you do that periodically throughout the day, it'll increase the likelihood that you'll be able to actually get to sleep. That's right, because you will have less cortisol in your body. And so therefore, less of that chemical that's keeping you awake at night. Okay, so now we've rethought our relationship to sleep. Now we believe it's important. Now we have gotten rid of some of that excess cortisol in our systems and are not as stressed so that we can actually increase the likelihood that we'll be able to get to sleep. What's number three? Number three is to go to bed and get up at regular hours. The body is very comfortable functioning in cycles of 24 hours. And if you tend to always get up at about 6.30, let's say always go to bed at about 10.30, your body will naturally know, ooh, 6.30 is about to come around, so I'm slowly waking up. Or, oh, it's 10 at night, I'm starting to slow down because I want to pass out. So your, your body becomes more and more efficient at those cycles, and you're actually taking advantage of your circadian rhythm. Um, the Dalai Lama said that happiness can be found in routines. And so I think that happiness can definitely be found in routines when it comes to sleep. You know, this is one that I find is really interesting with regard to the regularity of your routines in terms of sleep. I, I didn't necessarily believe this initially. And yet in graduate school, I had such weird hours staying up late, going out late at night and sleeping in in the morning and the like. I had such a problem with insomnia during that period. And when I started to work and there were an expectation of a regular day, all of a sudden, ever since, I've never, ever had a problem with insomnia. Right. But the more regular you are, the easier, the more efficient the process will be. All right. We're on to a number four. Four. Four is about moving. People who sit all day long are possibly very mentally tired by the end of the day, but not physically so. And as a result of not being physically tired, their body isn't efficient at falling asleep. So the more you move during the day, the more active you can be, the more recovery your body will need when it comes nighttime. And then again, you will be able to sleep better. The second benefit of this is that by being physically active, you will be getting rid of the excess cortisol that you may have been building at work or through stress or through an overpacked schedule. You will also be building serotonin levels and serotonin is a sleep regulator. So moving gets you more physically tired, gets rid of the cortisol, and boosts serotonin. All good things to help you sleep peacefully. Now, when you're going to do more movement in order to get to, to sleep, is there any advice that you would give as to, you know, if, if you're going to be going to bed, let's say, at uh, like 11 o'clock, is there a time beyond which you shouldn't be engaging in a lot of movement, like let's say working out, like if you're going to go for a run or whatever, is there some guidance as to yes. how close you should be doing that? Yes. It's best not to do any physical activity that will make you sweat two to three hours before bed. Okay. 
So you can go for a light walk, you can do some nighttime yoga, you can do some movement, but if it's going to make you sweat, then try to be done two to three hours before you try to go to bed. Okay, number five. Cut back on the caffeine. People don't realize that caffeine stays in your veins for seven hours. So if you have a coffee, you know, mid-afternoon, let's say, you know, 3 p.m., if you're trying to go to bed at 10, you might still feel a little too awake from that coffee that you just had at 3 p.m. So try to cut back on the caffeine, try to maintain it on your morning hours. Um, and, you know, that includes the coffee, the tea, the diet sodas, uh, even, even chocolate. So be careful. This is one that is probably surprising to a lot of people, that seven hours that it stays in, in your system for that long. A lot of people will think, okay, well, I'll cut out my last coffee of the day an hour or so before I go to sleep. And they're probably doomed to failure if, if that's what they're perceiving. So this is uh, very interesting and maybe really enlightening to a lot of people that having a coffee in the late afternoon may well affect your you know ability to get to sleep at night. You have a great lead in to our number six because you said it's enlightening. And number six is about being enlightened or not. So let me tackle this one. Our brain interprets light as a sign that we have to be awake because we were made to live out in nature and we were meant to be awake during the day and asleep at night. So the more exposure to light you can get during the day and the less exposure to light you can get at night the more efficient you are, again, with your sleeping and getting awake cycles. Now, this includes the television. The television not only is shedding light, but it's kind of throwing it at you, throwing it in your face. So mm -hmm. your brain interprets that as, ooh, I got to be awake. I got to be alert and pay attention. And so, therefore, um, light from the TV can keep people up. So some people say, I can't pass out unless I have my TV on. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, that might work for some people. But then very often, the next thing they say is, oh, I was up until 2 a.m. yesterday trying to pass out. And, you know, even my TV couldn't get me out. Well, how long are you going to try the TV before you realize it's not working? <laughs> you know, if you've been trying to sleep from 11 till 2 a.m., try something else. TV isn't the solution. Right. So that's, that's um, you know, managing the light exposure is my tip number six. It's actually an interesting one from the point of view of some other recent controversies that I've been reading about, like the use of iPads, for example. A lot of people now read at night in bed, you know, mm -hmm. using not a book, but using an iPad and an iPad generates light, generates light directly into your eyes, right? Even mm -hmm. more so than a TV across the other side of the room. And I think if you were to compare that to reading with a book, let's say you've got a light behind you some distance and it's appropriate for the kind of light that you have in your bedroom, you know, it may not be all that bright. But if you are trying to get to sleep after reading with something like an iPad, you know, you probably are generating an awful lot of light directly into your eyes that is counterproductive given what you're saying here. So this may well suggest that maybe your nighttime reading shouldn't be necessarily with something that generates light directly into your face and into your eyes. It's a good point. And there is no better way than trial and error. You know, if people can, not everybody is as responsive or as sensitive to the same things. And so if someone can't sleep after reading an iPad and thinks, you know, I used to be able to sleep very well at night recently, I haven't been able to sleep as well. And then, oh, look at that. I've changed how I read or what I read from. Then that's something to pay attention to. Definitely. Yeah, that's a really good suggestion, too, that it's not an all or none, that it's more a matter of if you've got some problem with insomnia or some difficulty getting asleep, then consider this might be one of the causes. Uh, any number Try of other things, maybe, too. 
Absolutely. Okay, I think we're up to number seven. Have a light nighttime snack. That's one that I share very often. I might have shared it in our first episode together, but I think it's worth repeating. A lot of people have the impression that you shouldn't have carbs at night, you know, because some previous diets, um, fads were preaching that uh, and it's stuck with people. Well, here are the facts. Carbohydrates help the production of serotonin, and serotonin is a sleep regulator. So a nighttime snack or a dinner, depending on, you know, if you're having a later dinner that has a good portion of carbohydrates in it is a good idea to help you sleep. Now, we're not talking about fast sugar. We're talking about mm -hmm. complex carbohydrates. We're not talking about a large, heavy meal. We're talking about a light night, night nighttime snack or a light dinner. But including carbohydrates and maybe even cutting back on protein is a good idea because the presence of protein in your meal will inhibit the serotonin response. So a light carbohydrate-based snack at night Something like maybe a toast, a peach, a small bowl of oatmeal, some blueberries um, can help you sleep peacefully. Sounds like a nice evening, actually, <laughs> to have that before bed. I'd also read, I don't know if there's any been any recent work in this area, Marie-José, but work on people who fall asleep after they eat some uh, like a small snack versus ones that don't. And one of the additional findings was that it's also what you're used to. That if you've also, for many years, entrained yourself to expecting your or your body has an expectation that it's going to have something or other before bed, uh, whatever that routine is, tends to be linked to being able to fall asleep directly. And so it may also be, again, like you suggested with the iPad, may not be something that is a huge you know, problem one way or the other, but it might be something to consider as well that if you have for all your life not had anything before bed or you did. But I think your main advice here is that even if you do have something, you have a little bit of it and very specifically the uh, the recommendations that you just made. But I'm just wondering wh whether that expectation or your body's expectation based on your previous experience, that seems to probably have some additional contribution too. Definitely. Well, first of all, food is comforting to the body and mm -hmm. we want to be comforted when it's time to go to bed. So that's one part of it. The second part is that the routines that we get ourselves into, you know, if we, for example, brush our teeth, brush our hair, wash our face, put on our pajamas, open the bed covers, always within about the same time frame of going to bed, always within the, using the ab about the same time frame, our, our brain knows, oh, this is my bedtime routine. And so I'm going to be falling asleep very soon. We do it with babies, right? Mm -hmm. We teach them a routine. And if we deviate from that routine, they're upset and they don't sleep as well, right? Well, it still works for us too. You know, we might be better at talking ourselves out of needing that routine. But if we do implement it, it helps. So it's controlling your environment, making sure that you do the routines the way you used to do them. And I think you have a next item that may also be an additional help. Yes, uh, the next two items actually are about controlling the environment. Um, so number eight is some sleep-inducing music. Um, just like when we hear our favorite tune, you know, our favorite dance song, for example, it kind of adds a little kick in our step, right? It gives us a little bit more rhythm. It helps us smile more, feel more energetic. Well, there's music that can do the opposite. Um, there's some CDs that are done by a company called Solitudes, sold at, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond and, you know, other, other stores of the like. These CDs are made to encourage the production of theta brain waves. And those brain waves are the ones our brain naturally produces right before we sleep. They encourage deep relaxation. 
So by playing that music before bedtime, it's helping your brain produce the right wavelength to get into sleep mode, basically. So peppy music gives an extra step. Sleep music helps you relax and get to bed efficiently. So we've now had our light nighttime snack. We've now done our routine at night. We have the music playing. What do you recommend next? Get comfy. Get comfortable. You know, if you if you don't have the right pillow, if you don't have the right covers, if the room temperature is too hot, if it's noisy, all of these things will keep you awake. Sleeping is about blocking away all sensory input. And so help yourself block it by making it absolutely comfortable. That's something that people tend to forget because their bedroom is their bedroom. Uh, they, you know, they feel that it's always been that way, so it should be fine. But then they go on vacation or they go to a hotel and they're like, oh, I slept so well. Well, maybe there was an element of comfort there that you can bring into your home, replicate and have it work for you all the time. One example that comes back a lot, people will be not only reading from their iPads in bed, but they will leave it by, the, by, their, by their bedside as it is charging next to their cell phone, who's, that's also charging, right next to the digital clock and all of these little lights, you know, that kind of sparkle away through the night. Do not contribute to helping you sleep very peacefully. So blocking away some of that noise, that visual noise helps. It's interesting that you mentioned going to hotel and controlling everything that's there. I, I, I traveled a lot over my career, and I, I found the exact same thing that you're describing. And I realized that controlling the temperature, absolutely the way that you want it, completely rearranging the room if you wanted to, you have complete control over you know that environment. And that's actually a good way to even detect, I think, what might be something that you want to do, as you suggested earlier, that if there is some particular duvet, it's particular you know pillow that you really like that that worked out really well for you, replicate that at home. And as you say, don't just take everything as a given the way that you have it in your home environment. Try to optimize based on the experience that you've had. Great suggestions all, and I think we're close to the end of our top 10 list. In fact, I think we're at number 10. We are at number 10. And number 10 is about learning how your body functions. If everything else failed, then get yourself a journal and write in it what happened before your bad nights of sleep versus what happened before your good nights of sleep. And maybe you'll realize that, oh, each time I eat that kind of food, I stay up. Or each time I haven't exercised, I stay up. Or maybe each time I've had a conversation with this person on the phone at night, I've stayed up. Right. So that will help you better manage how to fall asleep, how to not have insomnia happen, uh, because nobody wants that, of course. And it will help you be more conscious of if these things happen, how can you then counterbalance so that you can pass out? Um, there's a tip that is not in my top 10 that I haven't really explored very deeply yet that says if you, you know, have been trying to sleep for, you know, something that feels long, half hour, an hour or so, and you still aren't sleeping, then get up, do a little something, and then go back down. So maybe if you get up, go and journal a little bit. Why can't you sleep? What are you thinking about? What happened that you think is keeping you up? And then come back afterwards. And it sounds like it's probably an idea, too, given all the detail that we've gone through here, Marie-José, is to not only 
write down or journal the one thing that occurs to you, but try to be more inclusive. Capture more of the detail because you might not actually be aware of what that key factor is that really is the common one that causes the difficulty. It may not be the person that you were talking to on the phone. It may be the fact that, you know, the room is warmer than it normally was or whatever, those particular nights that you had a difficult time getting to sleep. So the notion of and I think it's a great one of journaling or capturing basically the, the details, especially if you're having some difficulty, but then capturing more of the details so that after you look at a bunch of the days that you were successful, a bunch of the days that you weren't, you can actually discern by looking at more of the detail what factors were common to you being able to fall asleep better. Yes, for people who say, I can never fall asleep, well, then the few nights that you do, write down what happened then so that you can replicate that as well. No, great, great advice. All right. Do we have any more uh, quotes to come? Or Yes, we have a closing quote. Indeed, it's from George Bernard Shaw. And he says, people who get on in this world are the people who get up and look for the circumstances they want. And if they can't find them, make them. So I think that's very pertinent to our last three items on our top 10 list today. Excellent, excellent list. And I should also just mention, I tweeted on Twitter prior to our session together that we would be doing another session together. And I got some feedback and in fact, a request from Tim on Twitter who asked about any advice to help with jet lag. Do you have any suggestions regarding that? Yes, jet lag is indeed difficult and there are no tips that are foolproof, but we can definitely try some strategies to alleviate the problem of jet lag. So let me share a few. The first one would be try to adjust your sleep time by at least 30 minutes, more if you can, you know, up to 45, maybe even an hour per day for the past couple of days prior to your traveling. So if you are traveling east, you want to start go going to bed a little bit earlier. If you are traveling west, you want to start going to bed a little bit later so that the difference doesn't seem as big once you're in your new country. Another little tip is to try shortening your last two or three nights by 30 minutes to an hour so that you accumulate a nice sleep debt. And the reason why it's going to be helpful is that when you finally get to sleep on your first night in the new country, you will not wake up at your usual time. You will sleep through it, hopefully, maybe even all the way to the morning, because that's often a problem. People get to the new country, they're exhausted, they go to bed, they can pass out, but they can't sleep throughout the night. They wake up at their re regular time. So if you have a nice sleep debt, and that's the only time that sleep debt is ever nice, right. <laughs> it can help. A sleep aid may be helpful to help you flip over to the, your new time zone. I don't want to preach for medication. Uh, never do. But depending on what are your responsibilities in this new country, it might be less harmful to take a sleep aid for a night or two than to be completely sleep deprived and non-optimal while you are possibly uh, assuring some uh, business duties. Um, get maximum light exposure during the day and minimum light exposure at night so that you can help your circadian rhythm or your biological clock adapt to your new time zone. Uh, we've already mentioned why this works, but you can really capitalize on that as much as you can. And if you can go outside to get a lot of light, not just internal light, but light that comes from Mother Nature, even better. And last but not least, when you are traveling east, try scheduling work whenever you can late in the day uh, so in the afternoon or the evening and do the opposite if you're traveling west so in that case you would be trying to schedule whatever is most important in your day early so you try for earlier morning 
activities so that you can capitalize on your times where you feel most alert. Excellent advice. A lot of people do get jet lag and tend to travel all over. And so I think those suggestions are excellent. I just add as well, there was research just a few years ago that looked at how quickly various circadian rhythms adjust when you've changed a dramatic in a, in a dramatic way, the time zone that you're in. And mm-hmm. our various circadian rhythms adjust at various rates. And so even if you're able to now and train yourself to actually sleep in the new country, you may still not feel entirely yourself for some time, right? As the rest of your circadian rhythms come into the, uh, or being trained on that new time zone and time difference. But sleep and the mechanisms that you just described are key to entraining the, the rest of your body and other things take the lead from the sleep cycle, as I understand it, to adjust as well. Yes. So excellent advice. I think we're pretty well near the end of this session, but it's again, Marie-José, another one of these sessions that I'm sure everybody will be very, very thankful for in terms of your participation here. I wanted to just before we finished up, just ask you to share with the listeners how they can hear more about you, to get in contact with you, go to your website, that sort of thing. I wonder if you could just provide that information here as well. Of course. Thank you for asking. Well, I have a newsletter that the sign-up is very clear and and, uh, obvious from my webpage. The webpage is smarts and stamina.com so that's spelled s-m-a-r-t-s-a-n-d-s-t-a-m-i-n-a.com so on the left hand side they can see the sign up for my newsletter the newsletter is free comes out every two weeks on a wednesday takes less than 90 seconds to read and will give you one concrete tip that you can apply today for free to get either better sleep food, mood, or exercise habits. So helping you be healthier, happier, and more productive. And also I have my contact page on the webpage where people can find all of my information, you know, either send me a question, send me an email, even call me. It's all right on there. Excellent. And I've been reading those newsletters and I love the fact that they take like 90 seconds to read. What other newsletters do you ever get that you can read that quickly and have such value directly from it? So congrats on that and everything else that you've been doing, Marie-José. And thanks ever so much for this session. And at some point, we may well want to do another one of these and another drill down topic. And we'll see if that uh, comes about. But I wanted to thank you again for this session and thank everyone else for listening to this, for continuing to provide feedback and provide ratings in iTunes and elsewhere about this particular podcast series. Thanks for your contribution to it. And that's it for this session. We'll talk to you all next time and bye for now.